0: I recently had the pleasure of chatting with Ondaat's CEO and co-founder, Alex Chukop. Alex runs a highly successful Series B company with 45 of its people distributed throughout Europe. On that is the rebrand from Storage OS, and yes, we will find out why they chose to rename after having already built up a customer base and a community presence. We hear about Alex's KubeCon experience, we talk storage and data, and Alex gives his opinion on what a Kubernetes developer is. Really cool company, go give them a follow. Enjoy the conversation. Okay, so hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of DevOps for Everyone. Um, Perfect timing just after KubeCon to be speaking with Alex today. So we'll jump straight in and, Lovely to see you, Alex. Lovely to to catch up again. Do you want to just tell the listeners who you are and who the business is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you so much again, Joe, for for having me. So, uh, so my is Alex Kirchhoff. Um, I'm the CEO and one of the founders of uh, On That, uh, and you might have uh, known us previously as Storage OS. Um, and uh, and I also am the co-chair of the CNCF storage tag. So I I love working with um, the cloud native community and obviously, you know, I'm on the startup adventure now.
0: So Alex, just before we jump in, I actually wanted to just touch on that. What does it mean to be a part of the CNCF?
1: So it's it's really important. this the CNCF is
0: um, uh,
1: you know, apart from obviously being the organization behind some of the big projects like Kubernetes, um, they're also the the organization behind kubecon um, and they are a foundation that allows that that's sort of growing the the cloud native uh, community and, and and it's a huge community so so roughly seven million uh, cloud native developers and something like five million of those are working with kubernetes day to day so it's 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 not just um it's just—it's not just a fad, but it's something that's, um, you know, pervasive in just about every enterprise and every organization today.
0: And and what's your role? What do you do actively with the CNCF?
1: Um, so a number of years uh, a number of years back, um, we started off with a number of working groups um, within the CNCF, and those have evolved into what's now. Uh, Called uh, tags. So the, these are technical advisory groups, um, and effectively we work um, uh, as a group within the community to help the TOC, which which uh, is actually sort of the decision making, uh, the technical decision making body within the CNCF, to um, to help uh, evaluate uh, projects which are which are moving to the to the kind Native compute foundation and um i do things like uh, due diligence reports on the projects um but we also have um we, we we're also here to sort of provide some uh, level of, of specific expertise you know in in, in in our case in the storage space but there are also tags for things like security and runtime and, and observability and, and other uh, and other verticals too um and then finally we also do um we also do a lot of work around uh, education for, for end users and have written, for example, white papers on um, cloud-native storage and uh, things like performance and cloud-native disaster recovery and things like
0: that. Interesting, yeah. I know that KubeCon is such a fascinating organization and there's, I've seen dozens and dozens of different types of people that work for the business doing different types of roles. So you're kind of like a, trying to piece it all together. It's really interesting tell us about kubecon how was kubecon
1: kubecon was a fantastic experience um so so you know first off it was probably the the first time uh we had uh, a real kubecon since 2019 for me when 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 that was in san diego there was a kubecon in in los angeles in november last year but but honestly it was just at the end of the travel restrictions and um it, it it wasn't it wasn't possible to travel that time, um, so so this was brilliant. There were some eight thousand people, um, many of whom I had not seen for uh, a couple of years, and and so it was, it was uh, a little bit insane, just even just uh, walking through the streets in Valencia it was almost impossible not to bump into somebody you knew on every single street it was it was really exciting and and so heartwarming to um to meet so many people from the community again in real life that was absolutely brilliant um and then in the actual event it was so hectic um we had uh completely packed days um lots of good conversations highlighting um where what enterprises are doing where they're going the type of use cases and 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 working through some some you know amazing pain points uh where where we were providing some solutions including you know a number of cases where people we were speaking to told us this is perfect this is exactly what we were looking for can you come next week and install you know and, and we're we're like this is brilliant it's so great to meet people again for real
0: do you know what that is absolutely fascinating so i i held a podcast or i hosted a podcast last week with the found one of the co-founders of cast ai right and they were also at kubecon and one of the things he said on the pod was that they were actually doing deals on the trade floor people coming up having a demo and then walking away after signing up (laughs) it was incredible
1: it 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 was it was it was a similar sort of experience um and it's you know it's it's not small enterprises we're talking about you know large financial services large telcos large service providers it's um it's uh it's it's incredible to see uh how how far so many of these organizations have come in the last couple of years
0: yeah, I think you can't really replace the in person meetup. Did you get involved in the virtual KubeCons in the last couple of years?
1: Oh, uh, we did, yes. We had a presence in, in all the virtual KubeCons. Um and, you know, it's it's a great place to get together and sort of see all of the um, conference talks, but you know, it doesn't even come vaguely close to being able to meet people. Um, I think I think we we kind of um, forget how different engagement is when you're trying to connect on a on a virtual platform. It's just it's just not uh, not that straightforward to uh, to talk to people on a keyboard um, and 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 strike up conversations and and just you know uh, um, find out about people. So yeah being able to actually speak to people in person is is a game changer really and um and hopefully uh, we get more of this as we get back to some sort of normal after the horrific couple of years
0: yeah absolutely i mean i you know obviously we're recording this remotely now but the first ever event i did on devops for everyone was in person in february 2020 and in central london so we had i don't know 17 or 18 people in central london at the first ever event And then, you know, obviously being forced to go online after that. But uh, I would absolutely love nothing more than to just get a bunch of people together in a room again. You know, 20, 30, 40 people in a room just discussing exactly what we're discussing now, but on like a panel format and having people network and you just build so many more relationships. It's even like Zoom meetings internally, just going off subject for a second. But even when you have a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting internally with your colleagues out on that or Interquest, that's it the meeting's done and you come off it there's no chatter there's no how are you there's no coffee talk then that's where the ideas usually spark from right so having these in-person events like kubecon someone can wander past your booth you could grab them find a common ground and then all of a sudden bang it's a customer
1: absolutely absolutely couldn't agree with you more um and yeah again we're we're also organizing you know our own meetups and we we had our uh, first couple of in-person meetups the last couple of months and and again it's it's just brilliant to see that happening again
0: yeah that's where i met bart right Bart farrell yeah top bloke I'm, I'm actually meeting him again on, well, chatting with him again on monday he's uh he's doing a kubecon recap event with me and uh about three or four other people as well
1: yeah we had a we had a great time with with Bart actually, um, one on on the Monday at KubeCon, we had uh, our Data on Kubernetes Day, um, which which was sort of a packed event with something like twenty different talks. Um, so amazing time to community, and then and then a great party afterwards to to uh, where, where all the community got together. So that that was brilliant, and and Bart as always is is an amazing personality.
0: Oh, my God, I've never met someone like him. He's absolutely incredible. Like he draws you in so much with just the way he is every day. It's brilliant. He's Um,
1: just got such a friendly energy. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely. I couldn't agree more. So um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and uh, it's really, really interesting, actually, just to hear about your thought process. But on that, you know, it didn't start as on that started as storage OS. So why the name change and why at that time did you choose to change the name and the brand
1: the the reason why we 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 did this was because of um you know we were observing this this more strategic shift that's happening in the developers and the devops world um where and i and i know this is terribly cliche but i'm going to say it any, anyway you know where we're seeing this um uh, shift left to to the developer and, and and this is this is effectively where the developer is now becoming responsible for defining and making the decision making for more than just um you know the application but also uh initially the testing and then it went into security and then it's into network services and 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 of course you know finally data services as well um and they're 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 effectively now responsible for defining storage as, as as part of as part of the application requirements. So, when uh, with with Kubernetes, developers and DevOps teams have this superpower, where, where effectively they get to define um, everything that their application needs, and and Kubernetes kind of just makes that happen within within the environment and it provides that, that abstraction there. So now developers can can specify everything from their security policy, their CI/CD processes, their um their their scaling requirements, their failover requirements, their networking connectivity requirements. and 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 of course, uh, in order to do high availability and scaling and and, and resiliency, you also need um, to consider the storage and and the data services. but but what we were seeing was that um, developers, you know, rightly or wrongly, were never really exposed to storage in the past, and they didn't necessarily resonate with the word storage. And so um, we we decided that we would move uh, our focus to um, telling the developers what our data services effectively enable around securing their applications, scaling their applications, making their applications platform-agnostic, um, uh, and providing the, the the high availability that goes with that. Um, and so, we've had a great success since since doing this. It, we've um, it, it, it's it's meant that um, we've had a sort of three x increase in um the the developer engagement we we also launched um a sas services as, as part of this um to provide a really frictionless um uh, way for developers to get online with on that and um the conversion rates are just are just fantastic so overall we're very happy with the rebrand
0: so the rebrand the name change it really did just appeal to your customers who essentially are developers
1: that's yeah that's 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 exactly right you know i think um what what we're doing is we're kind of um solving some of the hard storage problems that that um say platform teams needed to to worry about before and now kind of giving those data services and making them available to um, to the developers and the DevOps teams directly, um, and it it sort of masks away the complexities that that an underlying storage system has, because you know storage systems are one of those complex things, and they iterate slowly because they are such a critical part of the of the of the infrastructure. Um, and providing the the developers with an easy way to consume the data services rather than have to worry about the technicalities of the storage engine was was kind of the key differentiator there.
0: What's uh what's a Kubernetes developer?
1: <laughs> so that's 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 a very good question. Um I think, you know, if we were to go back um a couple of years, I would say um that they were people who were looking at Kubernetes as a way of um, automating and scaling their platforms nowadays I think it's it's a developer who's who's using kubernetes as their general way of of deploying and managing their application lifecycle um, so it's 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 kind of become the way of um, the way of abstracting the the infrastructure to give you a platform agnostic um uh way of running your applications so you know giving you a simple way of running your applications whether it's on-prem or or in the cloud or i guess what's more common nowadays is some sort of hybrid with with hybrid clouds or, or, or multi-clouds capabilities um and then also giving them the capability um of integrating with uh, more advanced features like you know high availability and scaling and automated healing uh, that comes with with using Kubernetes.
0: Do you know, from a recruiter's perspective, when you hear like Kubernetes developer, DevOps engineer, platform engineer, site reliability engineer, I could have six requirements and they'll all be completely different.
1: Yeah, it it is it is um, it is hard sometimes to to recruit for these um, for these uh, services, and and I think the. The only constant is that there's lots of change. Um, I think we're kind of getting now to a place where the market is maturing and the technology is is maturing. And in some ways, um, you can say, you know the technology is finally becoming a little boring, which is good because it's 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 all about st- stability and robustness now um but uh yeah i completely agree with you we're 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 definitely seeing um quite a plethora of different role definitions in the market
0: good yeah i'm glad it's not just me then (laughs) (laughs) so uh we, we we touched on you know going from storage os to on that the branding and the name but just to go back to to storage is it still a really hot topic but obviously it's just not in your name anymore but is it still something that customers are coming to you with is that one of their problems
1: absolutely and it's it's not about um it's not about the storage per se but it's about stateful workloads um so when kubernetes was put together um, and containers etc uh, there was a lot of focus on so-called um, stateless workloads um, and that might be you know the compute front ends or the web front ends or or, or things like that for for an application um but I've been saying this for a number of years, and 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 sometimes it can be a contentious comment. But but I'll I'll come out and say it anyway. Um, I you know we firmly believe that there is no such thing as a stateless architecture. Um, every application is going to be storing state somewhere, whether it's a database, an object store, a file system, a, um, um, a key value store, or, or any one of the other number of stateful workloads that that exist. Um, and effectively. What what we're kind of seeing now is is this scenario where so many of um, the the organisations we speak to have migrated um, chunks of their application or the stateless parts of their application into into Kubernetes and they're they're you know seeing this these huge benefits in both efficiency cost and and um, uh, and operational um, efficiencies which which you know give them uh, automated security policies and and there's CICD and and automated scaling and and healing and 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 the move to cloud and, and and everything else, and then their their stateful workloads like their databases are kind of stuck on outside of Kubernetes, you know, and they might be either running in VMs or perhaps they're they're um, buying expensive services from cloud providers or service providers, um, and they're ending up with sort of Two operational runbooks. They have to manage the two environments in completely different ways, with completely different benefits, and and, and that sort of thing. Um, and of course, um, what we're what we're looking to to uh, to to um, to do with, by moving stateful workloads into Kubernetes is to give all of those benefits to the to the that 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 developers have been getting um, for the rest of their application to the stateful. Portions of their application too, so now you know a developer can spin up um, a database in Kubernetes with a couple of lines of YAML, um, and that means that you know they can build databases as a service by just having a handful of templates. They can they can automate things like um, you know if they want a test database as part of their CI/CD pipeline, they can just spin one up, run a bunch of tests, destroy it, and and that's incredibly simple. Um, and and they get they get all of the you know security benefits and failovers and and scaling benefits that, that Kubernetes gives to to these sort of environments. And it's 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 kind of just the next natural um, stage of evolution really.
0: So outside of of storage, there's a couple of things that um, that constantly come up when I'm talking to to customers or, or engineers. Typically they are cost optimization and security but in terms of you know other challenges that you guys are seeing outside of storage what what are some of the things that people are coming to you what are some of the most common challenges
1: so so some of the biggest challenges are in fact um, around cost optimization and security too um you know so we we do actually um do a lot of work in those spaces so for example we've been working with um some large customers who have extensive um, databases, which they're consuming from from cloud providers, and now they're looking to move those database into Kubernetes, and and getting somewhere between a sixty and eighty percent um, savings in their in their costs as as a result. So you know that's that's kind of huge. Um, but also we're seeing. Um, we're seeing the requirements to, um, t- for high availability and providing disaster recovery services across um, across different availability zones within the cloud, for example, and also securing data. So, so we provide um, a bunch of facilities where we can um, encrypt data and, and protect data in multi-tenant environments um, to 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 ensure that um, even large organisations and financial services can move to the cloud in a, in a safe way.
0: Do you know that figure of sixty to eighty percent cost savings would have absolutely floored me if it wasn't for about three or four weeks ago when I had a similar conversation with someone. But I just can't believe sixty to eighty percent. I mean it's it's ridiculous. That's a huge cost saving.
1: It's it is astonishing, you know, and, and I think um I think that is actually one of the one of the best things with Kubernetes is that you know there's 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 two aspects to this. One you have you know, a huge savings in terms of um, operational complexity. So, you know, yes, Kubernetes does have a learning curve, but it, it automates and, and makes um, so much of your operational life easier in the, in, in the long run. But then um, more importantly, um, with with um, Kubernetes, you're doing everything in, in a declarative way. And and, and what does that mean? The, the developer gets to specify what they need in their application, and that can in, include, you know, the databases and the message queues and the other things, uh, and the other stateful workloads. Um, and they get to specify, you know, not just the containers that they need to run their apps, but also the topology and the memory requirements and those compute requirements. Um, and and Kubernetes does a really good job at sort of packing that out into the environment in, in a much denser way that was ever possible, say, if you, if you were running, you know, your own, <clears throat> your own physical servers or or VMs, for example. So so um, you know you get um, uh, you know I think we were we were looking at you know scenarios where if people were running um their own vms they were getting maybe one or two applications per server if they're running containers they might you know get um two or three times more than that and and if they were running kubernetes that probably gets another two or three times more than that you know and sometimes it can be up to 20 applications per node so so the the you you get sort of that density savings but you also get the operational savings
0: Yeah that's a good point actually when you think about not just the bottom line savings but actually time so if you're if you're shaving off a couple of hours when you're pushing code or if you're shaving off a couple of hours stress testing code that can then be put back into developing and then all of a sudden you've gained an extra 3 weeks at the end of the year in terms of pushing out code or making your platform more robust or whatever
1: No absolutely you know and and if you think about it. Sort of, you know, something basic like provisioning a database for 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 many organizations, even with you know fairly mature DevOps teams, that's still a process that's measured in days, perhaps weeks. Um, uh, and when you're doing that with Kubernetes, it's like I said, it's five lines of YAML, and you've got a new database up and running in in ten seconds. So the the difference is is quite stark.
0: Yeah. So just going back a couple of steps, you mentioned at, at KubeCon about, you know, um, having the conversations and, and customers coming up to you or prospects coming up to you to turn into customers. So is your customer base typically developers at enterprise level who've got these massive databases and stateful workloads, or can it be a 50 person startup company as well?
1: Um, to be honest, it's, it's everything from individual developers to sort of um, startups and mid-sized businesses all the way to gigantic enterprises Um, it doesn't really matter that much nowadays Um, you know if we if we were to if, if we had spoken maybe you know two three years ago I'd say a lot of the enterprises we were talking to were things like financial services or, or service providers because maybe they were a little bit ahead of the maturity curve in terms of kubernetes adoption but nowadays we have customers in um, media the defense industry retail and e-commerce and even education uh, systems are are being deployed in, on on kubernetes um, and more and more as um, companies and, and, and software developers um, change their models to um, providing services in the cloud and providing SaaS uh, solutions, they're building their own Kubernetes solutions too. So I think it's it's probably fair to say that you know Kubernetes has kind of crossed the metaphorical chasm and, and is, and is in, in fairly ubiquitous use. According to most of the surveys, we kind of see that um, just about every new New application is being developed in containers, um, and something like ninety percent of every organization has either deployed or is in the process of evaluating Kubernetes at this stage. So it's 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 kind of it's kind of ubiquitous.
0: Yeah, there was a DevOps report re- released recently, and it was talking about um, again, it was talking about most of security related. Uh, topics around DevOps, uh, so DevSecOps, mostly in Kubernetes and cloud native workloads. And I think it was something shocking, like it it was a survey on IT professionals and senior IT leaders within businesses. And it said, you know, 60% believe that their infrastructure could be more secure or could be secured in a better way. But only 25% have invested in actually making those security changes. So there's a need and an appetite for it, definitely. But what would What would the education sector be be using you for? I mean, because I imagine a client who is pushing code rapidly, developing rapidly, building new things rapidly, you know fail fast, move fast. But what would the education sector need you for?
1: Um so we're we're deployed in um, uh, in a large uh, system in Asia supporting uh, something like seven hundred thousand students. And it's you know it's 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 everything from their you know exam scheduling and you know, just just regular school activities. So you know it's it's every every system under the sun really that was previously um, a traditional install with you know perhaps front end and back end you know in a more traditional sense is, is actually still being migrated into into Kubernetes today just because of the flexibility and the ease of use. Um and we, we also kind of see um we also see that drive coming in um because they want the scaling and they want the high availability, but also because they want the, the improved security capabilities.
0: Yeah, true actually. I guess if they're holding so much sensitive information on their students, on I don't know, parents' bank details if they're paying for schooling or whatever, I don't right. know. So yeah, that'd make complete sense actually. Yeah, but seven hundred thousand students. I know oh, it's,
1: it's, it's it's amazing.
0: <laughs> Jesus. Okay, fair enough. That's interesting. I, I never would have. I never would have put the education sector in in your client base, but definitely I, I can see why. We um we mentioned Bart for those that don't know Bart Farrell earlier today, and I know that he 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 works with you guys as well. Um, and Cheryl Cheryl Hung, yeah, I'm that's sure. right. She, she works with you as well. So I just wanted to take a brief minute and just shout out those two people because. You know, in the Kubernetes world, it's very much that everybody seems to know everybody. So it's quite small. Um, and I just wanted to get your your thoughts on on Cheryl and Bart and the work they do for you or with you.
1: No, it's it's um uh you I mean you are right, it is it is a fairly close-knit uh community. Um uh, bart is amazing you know we've talked about him before um he he has been championing the data on kubernetes and and effectively all permutations of of stateful workloads um is is sort of covered in that space so we have you know storage providers and um and uh, and database providers and, and and everything in between really um uh which which he waters and nurtures and and Provides inspiration and innovation for. He's absolutely amazing. We've been working with Bart now for for a while. Um, Cheryl, of course, um, actually did work with uh, uh, did work with us when we were still Storage OS initially, um, and then went on to uh, to join the CNCF, where where she headed up um, the end user um, uh, side of the CNCF, which was which was fantastic. And now she's. A um, uh, senior manager at uh, at Apple, um, and 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 also still on our advisory boards, and we absolutely love Cheryl. She's 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 a brilliant, um, she's she's a brilliant person, and not just for, um, you know, the the community work. You know, we we had set up the the Cloud Native London Meetup is uh, when when we were still with when when Cheryl was still with us with Storage OS, and and she's grown that to an amazingly. Gigantic uh, uh, community meetup, um, and uh, but apart from that, you know, I think her her experience um, in the ecosystem um, means that uh, you know she she always is uh, uh, an amazing port of call for for advice and, and getting feedback. Um, and actually, both Bart and uh, both Bart and Cheryl will be um, will be with us on. June the 30th at the on Kubernetes meetup in London. So that's going to be super exciting too.
0: June 13th or 30th? Uh, 30th. Brilliant. I'll be here then. I'm not here on the 13th, but I'll be here on the 30th. So uh, I might drop him for a slice of pizza. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just to bring it back to, to the business, um, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'd be interested to to understand the, the kind of cloud approach from your perspective, because if you've got clients from as you just said education you've got um maybe like the home office or something like that you've also got you know individual developers so are you are your cloud agnostic company do you specifically start with aws and then scale out how does that work
1: um so so on that is a uh it's a software uh only product right and what we've done is we've effectively pushed what is typically a storage layer deep inside the stack. Um, we've deployed that as a container that, that lives in the user space. Um, so so with that you get um, you get a container installed within your within your cluster. Um, we're completely platform agnostic without any um, uh, kernel dependencies or hardware dependencies, for example. Um, and therefore can be deployed anywhere you can deploy Kubernetes and containers really. Um, And that means that, you know, the developer experience uh, is really simple because, you know, the data services become just like another application as far as the developer is concerned. Um, And they get the same exact experience um, when they're running their stateful applications, whether, and and they can use, you know, the same five lines of YAML to start a database, for example. Whether they're running that on their laptop, on-prem, on big bare metal boxes, or in the cloud or in VMware, um, and they get kind of that same experience across across all of the different um, platforms and and providers. And so we, you know, to do that, we we also make sure that we integrate and in are certified with platforms like um openshift and Rancher, but of course all of the big managed cloud providers like eks and Aks and Gke and Antos, et cetera. Um, so that uh, so that we make sure that you know developers can get that that platform agnostic experience. It's so important nowadays to to be to be platform agnostic and and you know I think um one of the things that developers look at when they're when they're looking at Kubernetes is in fact to kind of, reduce the the lock-in to a specific vendor or a specific um, cloud provider Um, and you know i think that's that's an important part of the equation here
0: yeah i see i see the need and i actually see it happening a lot more now with customers i work with that they're less bothered about which cloud provider an engineer has experience with just that they've worked with one of the big three because the skills are you know they're transferable to a certain degree in most cases so as long as they've got that experience of tinkering you know in the in the big cloud environments then then the customers I deal with are not really that bothered to be honest
1: no that's 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 exactly right in fact and and i think um and i think we're we're beginning to see um you know this 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 portability go all around um, in 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 different weird and wonderful combinations, you know. So so we're seeing um, Rancher effectively providing capabilities across multiple cloud environments. We're seeing OpenShift, um, you know, I mean OpenShift could always be installed in different cloud environments as well as on prem, but but now we're also seeing them launching as um, as as a service within the cloud providers too, um, and of course even the cloud provider offerings. Are, are becoming platform agnostic, um, where we're seeing, you know, things like um, we've got one of our customers, for example, who's using um, Google Atos in AWS to uh, to 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 manage their Kubernetes uh, uh, infrastructure in AWS. So, you know, it's 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 definitely a, a, a huge hodgepodge of different options, and change is always uh, is always constant.
0: You know, I can imagine when you know you got all the the top guys at Amazon and Google and Microsoft sitting down and thinking, right, we're going to create the best cloud provider platform in the world. They never imagined that they'd be able to cross pollinate with one another.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it, it is. It is a. It is an actual. It is a very interesting scenario. You know, and and I think um, uh, it the the competition is fierce, but it's also you know causing a huge amount of of, of innovation and. That ultimately is is uh great for the developers and the DevOps teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh so what's next for you? What's next for on that? What does uh the rest of this year hold and, and into next year?
1: Um so we're gonna be continuing to grow, um, continue to, to engage our customers. One of the one of the things we've uh, we launched as part of KubeCon is our community edition where we we're, we're launching a, an unlimited um, uh, an unlimited uh, cluster configuration with with sort of a terabyte of capacity uh, which is available to to every developer or devops team everywhere um, to to encourage um uh, adoption, but also to to kind of empower um, developers to to be able to to move their stateful workloads into into Kubernetes and make that sort of leap. Um, and then we're also going to be working on a number of uh, exciting capabilities with our with our SaaS portal um, to provide uh, better observability and multi cluster capability um, as customers adopt more and more. Um, kubernetes clusters so i was in one of the first days at kubecon i was i was sitting in a in a large room with perhaps i don't know 3 400 people um and the question came up to say to say like how many of you are running you know up to 100 clusters and probably about 70% of the room stuck their hand up and and, and i was like yeah that's that's exactly the next that's exactly the next challenge it's not how you run a kubernetes cluster it's how you manage a hundred of them uh, and, and I think that's going to be one of the next uh, challenges that that uh, that we'll be looking to to solve.
0: Yeah, I mean it. It's not about if you're running it because I think nowadays if you're not running it, you will be soon. You know, everybody wants Kubernetes; it's the new hot thing on the market, isn't it? So I think there's a. Like I keep going back to, there's a huge appetite for it. That's why KubeCon's so good, you know, because it brings people together, like three or four hundred people in a room, you know, all mm. talking about the same thing all wanting to learn about the same thing and that that's that's your that's your target client base right there if you could get right. 10 minutes on the stage in front of 400 people and say we're on that this is what we do you'd have a whole list of people ready to sign up
1: indeed no indeed that's um and that's that's the great thing about kubecon um but it's 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 also about that community you know we we learn from from those end users and they learn from each other and uh and we share you know i i think I think at this stage if it's not the biggest it's probably one of the top two or three so kubernetes is is the most contributed um project on github and has the most number of different contributors working together on this so it 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 truly is you know
0: the the
1: the result of of that community efforts to 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 make this happen
0: Yeah, I watched the uh, Kubernetes documentary that was released at the start of the year, and they were saying about how Google made the decision from really early on to to open source it and to, to keep it open source, and that is what has really made it go from like this idea and this concept into this beast of what it is today. So uh, great decision by the people there.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And if you and if you haven't watched that video, you absolutely should.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it was such an easy watch as well. You know, for someone like me, I'm not a developer, you know, but even someone like me at, at my level, you can still really get into it and understand it, and just understand the concept of it and and what difference it's made to organisations as well. So, definitely recommend that.
1: Yeah, and I, I I remember watching that the first time, and you know, most of the people that were being interviewed were people I'd met or talked to in the very early days of the CNCF, and it. Uh, I know this, sounds, this might sound particularly geeky, but, but it generally made the hairs on my neck sort of stand off. It was one of those uh, spine-tingling moments. It was a really cool video.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And I'm not geeky at all. I mean, if it's something you're passionate about, then, yeah, no, I completely get it. The, uh, Kelsey, I think the guy from Google, he was on there quite a bit talking about it. And uh, I've since started following him on, on Twitter and LinkedIn and places like that. And uh, some of the content he pushes out. And just even the way that he talks about it in that video is really, really engaging. So. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, definitely recommend that.
1: Absolutely, Kelsey High Tower is amazing. High
0: that's it, Kelsey High Tower. Yeah. So, Alex, where I usually like to leave conversations like this is a really interesting question. Uh, probably just to feed my own knowledge rather than the audience's. Maybe both. I don't know. But what what's DevOps in your opinion, in your own words?
1: Uh, who knows no i i i I joke but but honestly devops is um is quite a misused term it's almost it's almost uh it's almost as misused as the term cloud um so so i think i think really the way i think about devops is it's it's where we're seeing the, the commingling of um, developers with their applications and the management of the of the platforms and the and the environment and I think we're, we're kind of seeing this uh, we're kind of seeing you know we talked about the shift left but, but we're kind of seeing this this process evolve where we had multiple different silos in an organizations that, that, that were focused on individual bits of technology kind of pool together into a more general applications and operations team and 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 hence the creation of DevOps. And I think now what we're beginning to see is that central kind of like that joint pool kind of bifurcating and, and becoming a bit more specialized with um, you know, things like DevSecOps and 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 other things like this kind of like expanding out of that out of that DevOps pool. So um it's it's still an evolution, and it's and it's hard to pinpoint where you are on that on that evolution. And most and most you know, if you were to, if you were to grade DevOps on on a maturity model, you, you'd probably find most most organizations have uh, a different hodgepodge of of uh, where they are on that maturity model. But um, I think I think the key thing is it's the getting together of of developers and and platform managers in into into one group um but uh, but like i said i think we're also now beginning to see that bifurcate as as specializations come out of that
0: yeah i think it's it's a term that is used a lot i wouldn't i wouldn't maybe wouldn't go as far as to say overused maybe i don't know but a term that's used a lot in the wrong way for the wrong reasons as well um you know, if you're looking for a DevOps engineer, and you give someone a DevOps engineer title, but they're a Linux sysadmin, that's fine because it's a natural evolution. But the role of a DevOps engineer, I think, is different to that of a Linux systems admin. So, they might not have scripting background or software backend coding experience, or they might not be an operations guy. that might be a hands-on builder. So, it's a bit of a mismatch, like in a hodgepodge, like you say. So, I think. I don't know if we're ever going to sort it, sort it out but it's interesting to get people like you and other people have asked their take on this
1: i think like if you'd ask me what devops is in the cloud native context i think it is about being declarative and and being uh, and, and, and effectively being able to specify what's needed by the application uh, by the application teams out of the environment and and having levels of automation automate that away for you i think i think honestly that's it's about it's about providing that that sort of platform automation
0: yeah i think it's interesting i think that's probably that's a that's a good point actually i never thought about that if you was to answer it in in what context right if you're talking about it just in general day-to-day engineering if you're talking about it in cloud native terms if you're talking about it in an on-prem environment it could be a different answer as well so i never actually thought about it like that yeah, Yeah. Okay. okay, Alex, this has been brilliant. I thank you so much for jumping on and uh, I know you've been really busy with KubeCon follow-up. So the fact you jumped on, and on a Friday as well, I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. So uh, I look forward to the feedback on this. I'm sure you're gonna get some follow-up too. Uh, but where, <clears throat> where can people reach out to you? Where can they find you?
1: Um, we are, uh, well, they can always uh, get me on Twitter. So it's uh, kroo one there. Um, and I'm all, obviously also on LinkedIn. Um, but we have uh, an online uh, Slack community for, for on that as well, which you can join at Um So happy to talk to you all.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you, Alex. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into to another episode. And uh, great chatting with you. So enjoy your weekend.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Joe.
0: See you, Alex. Bye. Bye.